Hi, and welcome to today's Dharma Things podcast with me, Ms. DeShannon, and this week's guest is Ben Harrison. The idea of these conversations and this great conversation with Ben is going to revolve around things that help you navigate life and navigate circumstances, situations, emotions, physical or emotionally related things. So hopefully Ben can share some of his journey, experiences and his knowledge, hence the name of this podcast, um, and little gems of wisdom. We might also, as I do often say, go off on some tangents, and I'm not entirely sure how long we will be here for. Um, but hopefully it's a bite-sized conversation and you can get some little interesting bits of knowledge and joy and understanding from it. So hello, Ben, how are you? Hey, I'm doing really well, thank you. How are you? Good. It's nice to speak to you. I've been following you on Instagram for quite a while now and uh, looking at all the sometimes very intellectual posts that you do. Tell us briefly about yourself and uh, what you do. Yeah, um, I'm Ben Harrison Yoga Online. I'm just Ben Harrison in real life. And um, I, I suppose uh, I'm, I'm a yoga teacher, and perhaps a micro social media influencer. Um, I essentially want to, uh, you know, it says in my bio on social media, right, I'm trying to make men stronger through yoga, which uh, appeals to me in, in two ways that speaks to um, the sort of crisis of masculinity is sometimes described as right, but the sort of suicide epidemic among men and the loss of, of meaning um, in what's becoming a sort of increasingly postmodern world. And secondly, just to I want to create an environment as much as I can where it's a, a real like neurodiversity so anyone can do whatever they want to do and express uh, who they are and be who they want to be. And so there's two things kind of tie in together. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so where <laughs> I wanted to start asking you really, um, and you've touched on it already with, with a little bit of the why. Um, why is masculinity so triggering these days? We hear the phrase toxic masculinity thrown around a lot. And I'm not too sure that people actually understand it properly. Um, I mean, people think that it's these, you know, groups of lads, they go to the gym, they're covered in tattoos. It's all about, you know, lads are out. Blah, blah, blah. Is that kind of thing toxic masculinity? Give us an idea of what masculinity is these days. Um, well, I don't agree with and I don't use the term toxic masculinity because the, the idea that that suggests is that all male issues are caused by the essence, masculinity, being at least partially toxic. And so this idea that like, if we reduce masculinity, if we can kind of make men just be more like women, then they'd be somehow better improved human beings. It doesn't take into account any of the external factors that affect men's mental health. If we say that it's toxic masculinity, it's like all down to the individual man to fix his own 
natural toxicity rather than to say, well, you know, if we have a United Nations women, maybe there could be a United Nations men, or if we have, you know, the Women's Bureau, maybe there could be a Men's Bureau, maybe there could be some sort of infrastructure and support for men that could exist outside in the culture and in society. Um, as, a, as a culture right now, we're, as I said, increasingly postmodern, which means that we don't actually have an understanding of what masculinity is. And so when I look at even, you know, even authors who I, I like, for example, some people might have heard of the book, uh, The Mask of Masculinity by Lewis Howes, a popular topical book on the, on the subject right now. I like Lewis Howes. I think he's a good guy. I enjoy his content and I have done for years. Um, I think his book is really misguided because it sort of takes this weird misconception of what masculinity is. Like we're not, we're not studying it, right? And um, I mean, another example of this would be the, the organization Calm, who you know I'm grateful for and they do a lot of good work. But at the same time, they produce this sort of postmodern content about masculinity, which is to some extent to be expected because I mean, it is, um, people aren't aware of this, but it is a, a feminist organization. It's at least started by a feminist. Um, and there's different types of feminists that maybe we can, um, feminism that maybe we could go into. But yeah, the, they, they interviewed sort of boys on the street and were like, hey, what does it mean to be a man and what's masculinity? And the answers that they're kind of looking for are for people to go, oh, you know, it, it, it's nothing. It's a social construct. It's, it's not really a thing. It's, you know, and it, right. it's to just defined for ourselves. But really that's completely false. All of psychoanalysis, all of, you know, that the various anthropologists who people like David D. Um, Gilmore talks about in his book, uh, Manhood in the Making, you know, there's, there's a huge history and it's partly biological and it's partly sociological, but it's consistent across all cultures and across all of history. Masculinity is a thing. And whilst we can present it in our own style, we don't get to decide what that is for ourselves. And it certainly has never until very recently been um, conceptualized as something toxic or partially toxic. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that phrase in itself, um, obviously toxic, toxic, harmful stuff that you don't want to touch, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and when people don't fully understand a phrase to the depth uh, that you've explained it, that kind of phrase gets very easily banded around and very easily used and misused. And the entire notion of being a man is seen as something very negative. Um, anything that is gonna be remotely masculine is gonna be negative. Um, I read something the other day about um, phallus and um, how we, <laughs> In the yoga world, there's a lot of, of all this stuff around the celebration of women, you know, because of the feminists, um, the growth of the feminist movement in the last however many years. Um, and, you know, there's lots of stuff about reconnecting with the goddess, you know, celebrating the, the heritage of witches and things like that. But it was really interesting reading this piece about the phallus, how the phallus was also a celebrated thing. Um, uh, to, to be an icon of masculinity. 
Um, but how nowadays, like you said, we've completely lost the idea of what masculinity is. And that icon isn't so much an icon anymore, but an object of fun. It'll be like an inflatable thing that women carry around with them on hen parties or something like that, you know, and it's all just a bit shit, really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think when something isn't understood and there's no attempt or desire to understand it, because in, again, in, in sort of a, a postmodern climate, what we want to do is just dissolve all essences and all, all boundaries of anything. Um, but I'm, maybe that's a long digression to go off on, so I'll just say that. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, masculinity is this thing that's not understood, so it's sort of, but it's referred to as toxic. And obviously, if you put a term out like toxic masculinity, it's picked up by the people who you wouldn't want to use the term. <laughs> the, the vast majority, like 90% of men find it offensive and 80-something percent of women would also find it offensive to say it. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, so it's sort of, I guess, the, the phallic, you're talking about the sort of symbolic phallic in the perhaps like Lacanian psychoanalytical tradition. It's, um, as well as as well as the tangible object, right, the biological object. It's, uh, yeah, it's perhaps, a, it, could, it could be nothing more meaningful than an object of what amusement or... Mm, yeah, like and is, I mean, this is what you talk about. You often talk about the sort of Western male experience and this pursuit of a socially acceptable identity, this pursuit of masculinity. Um, and it's as though society is driving, even though from a feminist point of view, we live in a patriarchal society, Society is also watering down the male experience and, and disconnecting from the male experience. So much as though, much as we live in a world that is driven supposedly by patriarchal ideas, there's also this dissolving of masculinity. So like how, how, <laughs> how, tell us. <laughs> okay, um, so I guess I'll try and address um, patriarchy as part one, and then I'll try and address <laughs> the, the dissolving of masculinity as part two and try not to, to lose the thread um, of that. So, I mean, in terms of patriarchy, yeah, it's, um, there's different schools of feminism, right? And if you look at the writing of, um, I mean, no one's influenced me more than Camille Pallier, who's a, a feminist, uh, a equity feminist, so sort of equal opportunities feminist, right? And, and Christina Hoff Summers, some people have seen my content posting from mm. her. And I mean, Camille Pallio would say that the only, the, the true patriarchies that have existed were perhaps like the Republic of Rome and Victorian England. But outside of that, really, if we understand the history and, and the roles of masculinity and femininity is they, they have different inherent essences. So a male trait, a masculine trait, is about risk, competition, potency, provision, um, exploration of the external environment, and contribution to society and culture. So some of that is expressed in, you know, more than 90% of men occupy the death professions, right? So all of the dangerous jobs, all of the unsanitary jobs that need to be done in society. And then a small, a tiny percentage of men will be hyper successful in, in producing whatever the, 
the thing is whether it's an iPhone or you know some technological thing that we need for society. And I think that people are really envious of them, like they have these privileged lives, but I personally wouldn't want to work a hundred hours a week if you paid me millions for it. Yeah. <laughs> but then the vast majority of men, the overwhelming majority of men are, you know, making up the homeless population, dying much sooner than women, struggling with um, more physical and mental health conditions, um, you know, all, all kinds of things like that. So my perspective is that what we live in now is not in any way a convincing patriarchy. Um, I just, I couldn't typify it. I can, I can conceptualize the society where the majority of men are disaffected on the bottom. If you just draw a line through the middle, I just, I don't see how that would be a, be a patriarchy. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my personal perspective on that. In terms of um, the dissolving of masculinity, um, it, it comes from um, the ideology of applied postmodernism, which people will often hear referred to as as critical um, social justice theory and, and stuff like that, right? That's how it's sort of reified. Um, but the idea behind that that ideology, which is is certainly very manifest and very prevalent in culture right now, is that by dissolving the barriers between things, we would end up with and dissolving the essence and the meaning of things and redefining them and engineering words, which is where you know concepts like uh, political correctness comes from, right? So it's sort of re-engineering of language. Yeah. That language is the precursor to reality. So changing language changes reality, breaking down um, and dissolving differences in essence whether it's masculine or feminine or whatever it it would emancipate the marginalized intersectional categories of people man who doesn't identify as, as very masculine right which is absolutely fine nothing superior or inferior within that expression everyone should be welcome to do what they, they want to do but um the the sort of Verified postmodernism would would really welcome that as a way of dissolving those barriers, right? But okay. and I guess I'll end with this. My my the reason why I push back on against that theory and the reason why I celebrate masculinity and masculine men on my page um, is because if we dissolve an essence, then we've dissolved everything, right? So psychoanalysis, um, Carl Jung, Freud, everything that informs what we know about psychology is based largely within masculine and feminine, um, biology, um, male traits uh, based on ocean and feminine traits based on ocean, anthropology, culture, even if we go back to mythology and great literature, these are all based within one of our primary categories that we learn to recognize innately from a very young age is, is the masculine and the feminine. So if we lose everything, if we dissolve everything, then we're left with um, the sub-philosophy of postmodernism, which is nihilism, where we're floating around in meaninglessness and nothing can mean anything and we can't relate to other people and we sort of develop uh, a very schizotypical, uh, schizotypical uh, society, a very postmodern place to live, which is unhealthy. Yeah, yeah. Okay, no, that's completely understandable. I like what you're saying about, you know, dissolving boundaries also results in dissolving the essence of something. 
And you you mentioned Christina Hoff Sommers. Um, so the book, uh, The War Against Boys, um, you've posted around that. And um, kind of going back to the beginning of the male life, um, things that are mentioned in that book, uh, things around, well, again, this word toxic. So um, boyish, boyishness is toxic. Um, there's not much tolerance around boyish antics. Um, and surely this kind of, I, I mentioned to you before we recorded the um, data that I found from an organization who had talked about um, the use of language around boys at school, so from teachers, um, and how boys are sort of subjected yeah, to this zero tolerance uh, kind of perspective. So is this the beginning of this, like you're saying, this dissolving of the essence and a creation of trauma? So our boys are growing into young men and then into men with no real idea of what or who they should be. And it's creating a layer of trauma within them. As, um, yeah, there's certainly all kinds of things that are, are causing boys to struggle in, in schools and in, in the West. And Christina Hoff Summers, her book, The War Against Boys, is very much, it's very American centric, right? Where there's an even bigger, I mean, there's a, a you know, billion pound global economy in, in sort of gender feminism and postmodernism, right? And so that's very influential in the American <coughs> education system. Um, she particularly talks about the AAUW um, being one of those sort of big uh, pressure groups. And yeah, you know, boys basically, they have, uh, and boys and girls have a, a different learning style, right? They have different cognitive traits and sort of inattentiveness and rough tumble play and all these things are associated with boys. Um, and then, you know, in a culture where masculinity, that sort of boy essence is, referred to and thought of as toxic it's like you know how do we expect that those boys will be treated at school and then why are we surprised that boys are years behind girls in basic literacy um there's examples around the world you know in, in japan where they um specifically and there's a, f a few fleeting examples which are under pressure to be dissolved from organizations like the aauw in america where um, they're, they're like charter, I don't, I'm not sure what they're called, but they're essentially schools where, you know, trades are taught to boys and, and they, they have a sort of male cognitive curriculum and teaching style, a pedagogy. Okay. And, um, and yeah, they produce really good results, but unfortunately it's sort of, if you look at the world through this lens of postmodernism and gender feminism, where you like, everything's a patriarchy, everything's like the suppression of women and male privilege and toxic men, then obviously there's going to be pushback to say the least or backlash against anything which would support boys in, in, you know, graduating, doing well and becoming competent men. And in yeah. some cases, masculine men, which is just seen as, scary predators right <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah and then um, 
thinking it, I'm just reading <laughs> reading my notes here. I made so many notes about talking to you. Um, <laughs> thinking about this um, aspect of um, postmodern thinking. Um, now we always think of, well, for me, coming from a design background, I think about modern thinking and, and modernism as being like a sort of mid-century art type thing. But um, in terms of psychology and sociology, it's a lot earlier than that. Mm. Um, 17th to 19th century, is it? All these things that were put in place? Well, I mean, it's, I think Martin Heidegger is the sort of leading 20th century postmodern philosopher from the German counter-enlightenment school. So, yeah, I mean, it stretches back for sure. Yeah, hundreds of years. I mean, I, I was in my reading around this, um, that kind of that era where certain societal structures were put in place. And yeah, do, like afterwards, do correct me if I'm wrong on this, because this isn't my specialist area it's yours and that's why we're talking to you <laughs> um that I, I also read that the the par the patriarchy is actually a complete parody of masculinity so rather than it actually being in favor of all men um as you just said you know the majority of men are in um you know hard labor jobs high risk jobs there's a very small amount of men who have been in the position where they're inventing in control and have seats of power and yet okay it might be more than women but that's a different discussion um but the patriarchy is actually a parody of masculinity instead of it being in favor of all men it's manipulated our experiences the control of our bodies our relationships and for, for men and women and even issues that are going on on the planet and on our entire societal structure so much as some people think that we live in this patriarchal society it's actually a complete parody of of being a man um yeah i would i wouldn't I mean, that's the that's the sort of the gender feminist perspective on it, um, and it's you described it perfectly. Yeah, so um, I, I just don't subscribe to that. The way that, from what I've seen reading, um, you know, Dr. Roy Baumeister, um, he's got a book called "Is There Anything Good About Men? How Cultures Flourish by Exploiting Men." Um, what really happened is just that male cognitive. Pref male cognitive preferences which I guess is a facet of masculinity to go into the external environment to fight to protect um, and to engage in risk so that they can gain acceptance love and sexual relationships from women and uh, potentially the same things from men um, that caused them to create culture right and it was obviously expressed with men fighting and trying to secure resources um, for, for their tribe to build and create culture and now it's expressed by you know hundreds of men let's say try and start businesses and companies and innovate and create products and um, and things like that and most of them are going to go bankrupt and fail but a, a tiny proportion of those will be successful and, and form this tiny substructure of men which I don't think that we could really reasonably call that a patriarchy however if we do call it a patriarchy what we have to recognize is that a, a patriarchy or a matriarchy have 
benevolent sides, positive sides, and negative sides. You know, you can see this in um, Dr. Peterson's famous example is The Lion King, right? You have the, uh, I can't remember the characters. You have to forgive me, it's been like 20 years since I watched that movie. <laughs> but, um, you know, you have the benevolent king lion who's a good, a, contributes to society and then you have the scar i think is the is the bad guy right he's the, the bad guy yeah yeah patriarch so yeah I, I think certain sections of society are matriarchal like the education system i think certain sections of society are, are patriarchal like the stem fields and, and most of that's just on the natural cognitive biological preferences of men and women i'm all for you know, encouraging women to get into STEM if they want to, or more to some of the sort of care services and, and health services like psychotherapy and psychoanalysis and um, education system. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, that's all all good, but I think it's uh, I think it's a it's an amazingly bad idea, in my opinion, to just look at society and to somehow think that this is an oppressive patriarchy i just i don't yeah. know how anyone could do research and sustain that idea it's, it's just not at all convincing to me hmm. i think i i studied sociology really briefly um when i was at university and i think i i don't know whether some of the listeners are going to be horrified at this but i kind of found the same thing <laughs> um and i mean i i really don't have a huge depth of knowledge on these things but um, when we touched on certain subjects, I did, like you said, it does, there, are, there are certain aspects of it that just don't quite add up. Uh, you can see perspectives, you can understand yeah. perspectives, but then it's like, mm, do we really live in that kind of a world? Is that really how things are? Part of the other reason that I don't like that whole, this whole like victim Olympics thing of like, no, I'm oppressed by the patriarchy while I'm oppressed by something else. And it, it's, it's just it's really disempowering and unhealthy for for both sexes right yeah. i mean for boys it's like you know you're you're toxic you're privileged somehow and universally so it doesn't even matter about your individual experience or what it has meant to you or your experience being a man and mm. um, and there's a sort of secret society of men who are just who are the patriarchy who run everything and you're inherently toxic. And then to say to, to women and, and young girls, you know, are definitely hearing this. This is what's concerning to me is that children hear this messaging and see this messaging to say that you're disempowered and mm -hmm. misrepresent, for example, the pay gap, which happens all the time. I, I was just reading a book where um, a feminist uh, was doing this yesterday, but pretending that the pay gap is unequal pay and then um, you know, telling girls like, look, you're going to be paid less, you're going to be oppressed for the whole of your lives and all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. It's um, it's really, it's unhealthy for both sexes individually and also for yeah. obviously the, the interactions. I mean, the whole gender wars, culture wars that we're seeing amplified and proliferated through social media is certainly a, a consequence of this sort of postmodern gender feminist slash intersectional feminist ideology. Mm. And like you said, it's easily going to affect both sides because there are going to be young girls who are growing up who are constantly in fear of being in any situation where they're faced with men. And like, even if that's a simple interaction in the workplace, they're going to have a preconceived idea that, that any male 
is going to be horrible to them because mm. any male is going to try and overpower them in some way, just even on a basic emotional level. Um, I think I experienced this when uh, in my previous incarnation before I was yoga teacher and podcaster, um, I worked in the music business and we did some seminars on um, equality in the music business. And I remember being on a panel once where the women on the panel were discussing their experiences. And um, there was actually a young girl who was a DJ on that panel who said that her experience of sexual inequality in the music business was when some club manager had said to her, oh, well, I hope you play some good music tonight. And she was hugely offended and had carried that with her and was on a real sort of smash the patriarchy campaign because of this. And, and I was a little bit like, sorry to say, I felt like it was completely overdramatic, but the amount of people that were in that room that had that narrative, like you're saying, because, you know, oh, she's a young girl and you've got to be scared of men because the men are all going to be horrible. And, you know, and it, and it, I think that was when I started to realize a little bit more that this divide isn't good for either side at all. Yeah, I mean, we should be taking sides. It's not about sides, but you know what yeah, I mean. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean they're, they're two separate demographics, so I know what you're saying. Um, yeah, it, it's part of the the postmodern ideology is that um, your intention or intention doesn't really matter. What matters is impact, and postmodernists would say that there's no objective reality. Everything is subjectively experienced, and so if I'm ideologically a postmodern radical sort of gender feminist intersectional feminist and a male does something like that that probably you know to us doesn't have anything to do with sex or, or gender or anything like that it's just someone let's say being a jerk right <laughs> then our lens is like no I felt I've automatically I see pervasively across all situations in every possible interaction that the patriarchy is responsible for it or toxic masculinity or one of the other sort of constructed terms. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's just like putting on, uh, when you become an ideologue, right? When you buy into an ideology like that, you've just put on a, a pair of frames and everything that you look at is through that ideology. So you're no longer really able to to make any sort of rational assessment of what's going on. Everything is sexism. If you put on a different pair of postmodern lens, lenses, like, I don't know, critical race theory, the idea of that is that racism is inherent within every single interaction as a given, and it's up to you to, to discover it and disclose it. And so, I mean, that's, that's disem it's disempowering for the person who puts those glasses on Mm -hmm. and it's also very unfair for everyone else who has to come into contact with them whether that's yeah. real life or social media or wherever <laughs> yeah so I mean basically this isn't really 
You, you, you mentioned briefly about, you know, the opportunities for men in relationships, whether it was with, with women or with men, a comment that you just made earlier. This isn't about like any sort of specific gender stereotypes, is it? And what pe men and women should adhere to. It's just keeping a hold of this um, essence of masculinity. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. I'll just absolutely clarify it now because I'm always asked this. It's like men can be masculine or feminine. There's no superior or inferior. Women can be masculine or feminine. There's no superior or inferior. Uh, gay men are not more or less masculine than straight men. Um, Carl Jung has said that really clearly. And, um, you know, he's, again, like a, a big influence on my thinking. So it's not, it's, it's not a competition. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and I, I mean it just brings me to think about like when you see and I know some of these comments might be really shallow come from a shallow place but when you see things when uh, pride is on for instance and you see people saying what about men what about men's day um, and I know that some of these comments might come from a really shallow place um, but this is a thing, again, it, the, the dissolving of masculinity, we're losing the essence of that. And whatever a person's sexuality is, um, you're just losing the essence of masculinity. And this is a real problem, thinking about the, um, rather than the, the academic side of it, um, you're doing what you're doing because this is a real problem, not just in England. I mean, you and I are both from England, so we've you know seen these things, but you've mentioned different things in America and places in Europe. Um, there are statistics that, that show that men are suffering mental health issues, higher rates of su suicide. The, it's the men who are, well, feeding the criminal justice system. There's just this kind of behavior of harm and disconnect and violence that has, is a result of the sort of neglect and the expectations that they've been pushed into throughout their entire upbringing. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you uh, mentioned the, the prison system. I mean, that is a patriarchy. It's more than 90% male, right? And men receive um, something like 10 times harder sentencing for the same crimes as women. So, um, yeah, that, that might be the purest patriarchy we can locate. But... Yeah, it's exactly what you're saying. My concern is that toxic masculinity, like making making boys, young boys in school feel bad about their masculinity is, is shown, it's been studied. I wish I could quote the, the authors of that white paper to you right now. Um, it's been shown to lower self-esteem. So we're kind of damaging young boys. And then, I mean, if, if you even just looked at the demographic of white males alone, that suicide epidemic within that demographic is larger than the AIDS epidemic right and right. so all of these all of these consequences and it's it's not because men are somehow have just suddenly become internally toxic like <laughs> it's because of it's because of our, our postmodern culture primarily mm -hmm. because of these structures and attitudes that we've got in society there was again going back to the Gabo Mate documentary um, there was some really, and, and this was in a, a film as well. This technique was used in a film that I watched about, um, 
Oh, kids in gangs in America. Anyway, um, in the Gabo Mate documentary, there's um, a psychologist that's working with some criminals that are ex-gang members in like these incredibly intense prisons in America and um, doing the, I don't know what, if there's a, a, a technical name for it, um, but the asking the question, everyone's in a circle and step forward if you've experienced this. And there were questions that were investigating the layers of these men's trauma and going back to exactly like you just said, how they'd been treated um, when things had happened to them when they were younger, how they had been responded to uh, when they'd experienced or seen something traumatic how they had subsequently been treated. And then this psychologist that was working with them basically analyzed that every single one of those inmates in that prison was suffering from trauma. And the actions that they had been imprisoned for was as a result of their experiences and their mistreatment in their childhood to varying degrees, even if even little things like, um, when something happened at school, could you go home and get a hug? Did you observe other family members getting a hug for the same thing or not? You know, this kind of thing. And um, it was incredibly upsetting for these men to realize this and to realize that there's this side of their nature and their personality that they'd never, never been in touch with. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, they say that there's no one you wouldn't love if you knew the backstory, right? And mm. I mean, if, if any of us had had the experience that those men have had growing up, then we would also have done something which caused us to go. Obviously not condoning criminal behavior, but it's, um, it's incredibly sad. And I mean, you know, I want to, like I said, neurodiversity, um, spreading yoga to a bigger audience, making men stronger through yoga is, is the mission. And so I think, you know, it would be a very cool thing if at some point in the future, I could, you know, maybe teach, teach yoga in like a prison population mm. or something like that. Yeah, I think that would be an awesome thing. There's, I mean, again, it's, I think the, the idea, the reason why we're, we're so fearful as a culture of men sort of claiming or becoming um, strong masculine men is they're like, oh, but then they'll go to prison or something, right? Mm. And it's like, no, that isn't like criminal behavior um, isn't an effect, a side effect of masculinity because the essence isn't toxic. And I'll, I'll give you an example of that. So we, we just talked about gangs, right? The gang culture. So you could take the exact same masculine essence, energy, and cognitive style, right? So you could get one boy who is interested in risk and competition with other men and wants to climb a, a hierarchy. So he joins the football team, he competes, he ascends and he becomes the football team captain. You could also have the exact same um, masculine essence directed towards gang culture and to become like the the alpha male of this gang want to do as much violence and crime as you can and then they do that and they ascend to to the top of that um competence hierarchy and it's like if the if the essence itself if the masculine essence itself was toxic 
then how would it be possible for the for the football example to exist at the same time as this criminal gang example right and that's exactly what i'm saying there's there's nothing inherently benevolent and there's nothing inherently toxic within masculinity in the same way as femininity the best way to think about it and conceptualize it is as an essence so it's the same as gravity if i drop a, a box on my foot and i break my toe i don't say oh it's toxic gravity you know, <laughs> if i'm searching for something in the dark and i stub my toe on the wall i'm not like oh, it's toxic darkness like they're just essences sometimes they're useful if they're directed in the right way and we make men strong and healthy and sometimes they um you know they're in, a, in an inappropriate situation or the person is, has all kinds of, like we're saying, developmental issues and things like that and they conduct themselves badly and their behavior is bad, but it's not mm. symptomatic of the essence itself. Mm, yeah. So how do we, what do we do as a society? Now, this is a great question. You've got to, you've got to solve all this problem for <laughs> us now. What do we do as a society to not make, but to allow men to be men, to be themselves? Um, I think that we would have to move away from reified postmodernism. So all the kind of various um, fields of that. And I mean, maybe it'd be helpful if I just kind of ran through what postmodernism is and how it's yeah that would be good okay <laughs> all right so i mean you know we said it's um it, martin heidegger leading 20th century postmodern philosopher in the german uh counter enlightenment school of counter enlightenment philosophy um, um martin heidegger amongst other ideas he said that nothing like nothingness is something and it should be studied and it might contain a truth and so if you imagine concentric circles there's sort of a nihilism as a philosophy within a larger philosophy of postmodernism, that got picked up by subsequent philosophers who include Baudrillard and Jean-Francois Lyotard, but primarily Michel Foucault and Jacques Derrida, who abandoned reason and logic to reveal a philosophy of nothingness or metaphysical nihilism. And so this postmodern philosophy, if none of that made sense, you could think of it as being characterized by playfulness and pessimism. So it's like critiquing things and disorganizing things, right? Now what happened is that became applied through critical theory in academia. And so it created the fields of post-colonial theory, queer theory, uh, critical race theory and intersectionality and sexual feminism, various other feminisms, uh, gender studies, and then the newcomers to the field are currently disability studies and fat studies. These um, more recently, then finally went through this sort of third wave evolution to become um, reified in Western culture under the banner of social justice. Um, now, obviously, within all of our all of our misunderstanding of masculinity and all of these terms like toxic masculinity and um, intersectional oppression and um, and predator hierarchies or oppressor and oppressed hierarchies. Mm -hmm. All of this kind of stuff, which um, been criticizing throughout the duration of this podcast, it, this is where it comes from. And so really what we'd have to do, 
I believe, to even create a society and a culture where we can even have a discussion about this stuff is to move into objective reality, modernity, and have a civil, um, a civil democratic sort of liberal democracy, right? So it's, it's just not really possible whilst there's this all, all pervading sort of postmodernism that wants to, you know, go back through hist history and rewrite history and cancel Ernest Hemingway and tear down statues of whoever we don't like. And, you know, all of this, all of this postmodernism just makes it really impossible to even, even for me to post and try and explain what masculinity is historically and anthropologically and philosophically and biologically. Because as mm -hmm. soon as I do that, it's like, you're the patriarchy, you're toxic, you're whatever, right? And I get this huge, huge backlash from it. So that is conceptually my answer. And if somebody wanted something practical, I'd say maybe you could pick up uh, cynical theories by Alan Pluckrose and James Lindsay, which would explain the, the postmodern piece. And maybe you could pick up a book like um, the Boy Crisis by Warren Farrell and John Gray, or maybe Is There Anything Good About Men by Roy Baumeister, which starts to explain masculinity and masculine traits in a, in a, in a fur context. Okay. Okay. So it's a good start to at least uh, begin with educating ourselves and get some reading done before we start to change these huge and intense sprawling societal structures. Yeah, I mean, it's just... <laughs> Uh, social media has got definitely um, a lot of holds a lot of the blame in all of this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's a sort of contemporary fabulous book by Florence Given who wrote. Um, it's called uh, "Women Don't Owe You Pretty," and she puts forth the idea that social can take the place of formal education, and the book just reads as like a multiple hundred word long tweet it's uh it's incredibly bad and i mean who's gonna who's gonna instead go over and try and read a really intellectually challenging 700 page feminist text like sexual persona by camille pallia when instead you can kind of digest a few memes or a book that's composed of memes right and this is really the problem that we're having like it's it's difficult for me to post on Instagram because it's not long format enough. Even this conversation mm -hmm. that we're having, it's like, I'm sure we could drag this out for five hours or something, right? Definitely, definitely, exactly. Um, so back to the first question, um, a little bit more about you. Taking all of this into consideration, um, and like I said, starting with a little bit of, of work on ourselves, mm. um, how are you trying to facilitate these ideas and these things happening through making men stronger through yoga? What aspects of yoga are you using to strengthen male experiences? Yeah, so I think what's happening is when you've got a, uh, a society and a culture that doesn't have, again, these these supportive bodies for men so one example of that would be like men potentially make up if they actually reported the cases they'll make up to like 50 percent of domestic abuse victims but they don't report the cases they're discriminated against by the dollar law which always arrests the man if the police are called and then they only have access to less than one percent of the shelter space 
And so they're generally then making up the large homeless population or sleeping in the cars or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's just one example, right? But when you've got this society and culture that, that's like that, that just has no provisions or supporting structure for men, um, men have to try and do something for themselves, right? And when, when they're committing suicide at um, epidemic rates and have all these mental health problems and are dying soon, what what does what's the first thing that someone would think of in that situation like okay i need to do something for myself what's good for like my mental health yoga yoga is like the first kind of thing that comes up but the yoga the world of yoga is is the least (laughs) is the least male sort of masculine friendly thing going at the minute ironically you know it's it's created by men but yeah um, yeah and so what i wanted to do is because i just feel like I'm kind of a, a square peg in a, a round hole in, in the yoga industry. And I have this larger, predominantly male audience. And I'm just neurologically closer to men outside of the yoga industry. I was like, all right, why don't I not try and fit in? And I'll sort of be the the touching point for men to go oh actually you know what this guy does yeah i can come and do yoga mm-hmm. and then the idea of subsequently they become stronger through yoga so it's not just physically stronger mm-hmm. but neurologically um what would you say mentally stronger right mentally more yeah. um and and then finally yeah because men are, are such a tiny percentage of the people who who practice yoga it's adding to you know the the diversity of of the industry it's it's creating a Mm -hmm. society which we both like where everyone can feel welcome to do whatever they want to do Mm -hmm. so it's not just about teaching the guys to do the handstands and the and the arm balances and stuff it's creating these positive experience positive cognitive experiences isn't it yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, and what you're saying is I know some people might look at what I do and say, in fact, some people do do this because I get <laughs> DMs about it all the time. But like, oh, this isn't yoga. You're ruining yoga. You're culturally appropriating yoga. It's not proper yoga. What I think we all get that these days. Yeah, right. And it's like, um, uh, if you ask me, like, are you a yoga teacher? I will say, yeah, I'm a yoga asana teacher. I, I, I don't really teach the philosophy um, of yoga. I am f- fully trained in that. Um, I, I've even taught a little bit of it on, on courses with Broga, but I, and I continue to study it as well. It's an area of interest, but I'm, and, and the, I'm not, that, that's not really part of what I do. It isn't something I touch on too much in classes and it's not something I, I write about on social. It's, I'm not throwing shade at anyone else who does that. That's awesome. Um, I hope that some of that tradition is maintained. But for me, like if I'm trying to get these, these new people on the mat, these mostly men to, to try yoga and get on the mat, I'm not going to be able to do that by explaining the concept of ahimsa to them or talking about the Shakti and the Shiva. Like, what those guys are going to be attracted to as a touching point, as an initial image, as a hook, is pressing into a handstand or something like that, right? And so that's mostly why aesthetically and content-wise, 
Um, I, I tend to focus on hand balances and, and things like that. And finally, for anyone who's, who's upset about that because they sort of see themselves as real yoga teachers and I'm a sort of not real yoga teacher in their opinion, I would say, look, it's like, it's like imagine it was rock music we're talking about. You've got sort of pop rock, right, which is in the charts. And maybe people find that and it gets them interested in rock music. And then next thing you know, you know, they're listening to Nirvana and death mm -hmm. metal and who knows whatever else, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. and so they might, you know, some, some men might come along, see what I'm doing, get into that and yeah. they're on board with it and the whole masculinity thing and they just stick with it. But other men might come in, see what I'm doing. It's cool, it's a handstand, do a yoga class. And the next thing you know, they're yeah. out in India reading about Ahimsa and yeah. Pranidhana and all these other things. So yeah. it's, a, it's a big, it's a big industry. I don't, I don't have to be the same as everyone else, and no one else has to be the same as me. That's all mm. to us, is my opinion. It's a variety of different benefits that this kind of a practice can bring, and I mean, everybody will have a different entry point to such a a complex entity. Mm. Um, I'm one of those people who started in yoga because of yoga asana. I didn't have a spiritual bone in my body when I started practicing yoga. Um, and yeah, even now, like you said, despite doing years of training and learning and still doing training now, um, I'm a yoga asana teacher. Mm. And my classes will be sprinkled with, I don't know, qigong or whatever, you yeah. know. Um, but that's what people understand. And it gives emotional, physiological, psychological benefits to that practice. And in terms of, of the men that you are teaching, they've got that sort of goal setting and that sense of achievement, which is something that is in their nature. And that is the good way of using yoga to help them achieve their needs. Yeah, I, I guess. completely agree. Completely agree. Mm. Great. Fantastic. <laughs> I think for now we've reached the natural end. Um, thanks so much, Ben. Do you just want to run over um, where we can find you online, any of the different projects that you work on or the organizations that you work with that it'd be really good for people to look up? Yeah, um, I'm Ben Harrison Yoga, which is just all one word online. You can search for that. And I'll pop up on uh, Facebook, although I'm not on there too often. Uh, Instagram, <laughs> I'm on there all the all the time, unfortunately. <laughs> so if you message me on there, you'll 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 get a reply eventually. Um, ben Harrison Yoga at gmail.com. Um, those are probably the main places. BenHarrisonYoga.com. Everything's under that under that label. And um, yeah, that's it. As in terms of projects coming out, I've got some some stuff on the way, which will be linked on my website, but I'll, uh, I'll leave everyone into, in suspense as to what that's gonna be. Yeah. And I think tips for listening back to this is sit down with a notepad. And when Ben starts talking about all these books, just make a note of the title and the author. And then you can, <laughs> then you can go off to the library or wherever, not Amazon, a local bookstore and try and find these titles. Okay. 
Cool. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, like you said, I think we could talk about a lot of these different elements of this um, a lot more. But for now, that is everything from Ben. Um, don't forget to give him some love on social media, even though we're both a little, you know, nervous about using social media too much. <laughs> um, I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hopefully it'll guide you through some understanding from some new experiences. Um, and I will see you next month. Thank you very much.